0: Uh, Mary, Mary gave me a card that says Hallelujah in Psalms, begins and ends, uh, Psalms 146 through 150. So when I said Hallelujah, it was only four times in the Bible and all in Revelation. I had looked it up in an app in the King James, and that's how it was. But it is in the Old Testament. The only time the New Testament is in the book of Revelation, which I always thought was kind of cool. And uh, so that's why I did that. But I appreciate when somebody uh, catches me. You don't win anything. I'm sorry. I don't have a good prize for that, but uh, but I do. She must, be a brilliant. she must must is she must be a brilliant must is is how we say that. Um, so I appreciate that. Um, I uh, instead of crowding up my paper with all the facts I wanted to say, I left blanks. But then I don't trust myself to remember, you know, where I'm going with that. So I brought my main source for some of this information with me. Uh, so if I open this book, it's because I want to make sure I remembered something. But uh, we're in the, in the uh, Church of Philadelphia. And uh, somebody tell me what Philadelphia means. Well, it's more than love. It's more than that. It's the city of brotherly love, right, Delphos' city. So, uh, Philos is brotherly love, and Delphos is city, so Philadelphia comes out, translated and transliterated and all that stuff into Philadelphia. So, uh, this is a Greek word, Greek city. And uh, so, before we get started, let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you for these seven churches, and we see ourselves in all of them, Um, really. uh, there's, There's no escaping... Um, that uh, that we have some of the same problems, and we pray you see some of the same positives in us. So, uh, God, tonight we just pray that once again you would open our eyes to see where we are, where we need to be different, where we need to look more like you and to what you want your bride uh, to look like, um, and uh, help us to, uh, since we're made up, your bride is made up of each of us, may we each one... Uh, Correct our lives according to what we find in your word. God, you give us grace and help us this night. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Simple little fact first about Philadelphia is it's the youngest of all these cities and youngest being in newestly formed. Um, uh, So um, it it, it does not mention and, and history does not mention much. much about it it does have a pagan deity as all these cities do and it was uh, Dionysius or Dionysus Um, and but as God talks about this church he doesn't say much about the pagans that wasn't their problem it's a young city um, there's not a lot of prominence Uh, what what does I'm making this up as I go right now so what does what does youth bring to anything well it brings vitality that's true young people are just ignorant but energy <laughs> ignorant but energetic right so they're they're worr worrying around in activity but they're not sure where they're going and what happens in in age is we know where we ought to go but we can't get off you know of the seat to get up and go do that sometimes we get we get too worn out so uh, so young people need old people, and old people need young people, right? Uh, absolutely, we've got to have both. We need, we need their help because they can actually do things, and uh, they need our wisdom because we can keep them from going off the cliff. And, and, and both sides are uh, in a dangerous place when they, don't, when they don't understand that and listen to that and do that. In fact, Titus uh, encourages and recommends that the older ladies teach the younger ladies, the older men teach younger men. Younger men and the younger ladies show uh, a deference uh, and, and an attitude of humility there. what um, was, well, wasn't where I was going, and now I found another side rabbit, even off that rabbit, um, and that is, um, what happened to Job's friends? Do y'all remember what the youngest guy in the group said? He said, I've been listening to you old guys and I've been quiet because y'all are older and you should have wisdom, but now I learned that wisdom comes from God and just because you're old don't mean you're smart. <laughs> and then he went, in. that's not. a, that's a paraphrase, obviously, um, but uh, you, you can go back and read Job and this guy. And then this guy, he he does get a lot better than the other guys, but they all got it wrong. Uh, God had to tell Job um, what the deal was. But uh, what else does youth bring? And I just mean a, in a, a matter of, Um, how things are in that city what what would it mean that philadelphia was the youngest city what has not happened there because it's young go ahead yeah they don't have history and and that's a good word i'll tell you i was making it up as i go right here so uh, there was no really good wrong answer um the in other words, there's no tradition, there's nothing set in stone. Some of these other cities are old, they, one of them was way back there and they used to have this god, now they've got this god and they were, they were leaders in, in the empire worship because they've been there, they were chief cities of Rome because of the things they had done way back in their history. Well, when you're younger, you don't have that, you're more free to just go, you know what, I'm just, I'm just going to cut this and go that way. So, that's probably part of the reason, in my estimation, guessing, I am guessing, that there wasn't this really strong Roman presence, not a really strong pagan God presence, but who they did have trouble with were our good old friends, the Jews. (laughs) Um, That's where their, their issues are going to come in. So I tell you the pagan god, D-I-O-N-Y-S-U-S, and that's never in the, in the Bible here. It doesn't mention that. This is just a bit of history, and nothing else was said about it, so I, I didn't research that very far. Um, but their main problem was not the pagans, but the Jews. That's, that's where that blank is. They're under the title Philadelphia. We're just talking about the city a little bit. Some of it is biblical, some of it is just historical fact. Um, and the church in Philadelphia was weak. Now, that, that's going to be repeated a couple of times in here. Um, so, uh, the church there was weak. And you know what? I took off, and we didn't read it. So, I want to read verses 7 through 13. Uh, and actually, that would be, um, yeah, it would be 7 through 13 if I look to the right chapter. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens. Now that's quite a lengthy um, introduction there. I know your works. Behold, I've set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews but are not, but lie, behold... And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Some of those phrases in there have a lot of biblical references associated with them. And so I listed those on your paper and uh, we may read some of those. So I may call on some people to read. Uh, as, as we go forward. Um, that last set of blanks is. Uh, the church was faithful to the Lord. It was also healthy. It was also weak. But it was faithful. In other words it was healthy. The church itself was doing well. But they just didn't have much influence. Much power uh, in, in their city. But they remained faithful to the Lord. Even in that, in that situation. So how to how is Jesus referenced in this in this one um, how is jesus identified is is what we're going uh with here um and it's not as much going back to chapter one here it goes back to some old testament references as well and it, and first of all it says the holy one do you see that um there it's still in verse seven in the very the words of the Holy One. And look at all these references here. Uh, somebody read uh, 4.8 and somebody else can read 6.10. And if somebody will get Mark 1.24, somebody get Luke 4.34, someone get John 6.69, and someone get 1 John 2.20. All right? Okay, you got First John. So who's still looking at the original Revelation? Then do four eight. Whoever's still looking at chapter three, just turn a page and do four eight for us. No one's still looking at. Their <laughs> so so the angels are are crying out that God is holy, but they say it three times, and I believe you know what the significance of that is, but let me remind you, in Hebrew thought, in the Jewish thought, and I don't know how prevalent it was in those days, I guess everybody, but remember, um, I, I remember back in the 70s when uh, a lot was changing in the 70s. How many of y'all remember the 70s? Okay, good, good. I didn't think we had anybody who was born after that. Um, yeah, the 70s, a lot of things were, were changing uh, in, in those days. And, and I just remember even Christians, because as people were, a lot of people were getting saved, and as, as, as that was happening, there weren't a lot of new translations. There were some, and that's when they started kind of coming out, and, and there were some out already. But by and large, everybody was still using the King James. And so it wasn't a joke like they were making fun of it. But if you were just speaking uh, English to someone... And they would say, is that right? And you might go, truly, truly, because Jesus always said, truly, truly, I say to you, you know, because we didn't understand what was going on. But here's what was going on. In the Hebrew mind, if I said it, the Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, right? Well, what he's saying there is, if you only said it one time, you're kind of saying, I might not be telling you the truth here. <laughs> I may be trying to fool you a little bit because I'm not saying that it's very confident. I'm not real confident. So Jesus would say, truly, truly, I say to you. And what that was saying to the people is, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not, I'm not, you know, now we'd say, I'm not lying, man. I swear people say, I I don't think you ought to say that. But people would say, I swear. So truly, truly was like saying, "I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding you. I'm telling you what's true. But when you said it three times in the Hebrew mind, it was complete perfection. And so when we see the scene in heaven... Are the angels saying holy, holy, holy? Probably, I think they are, you know, it's what's recorded, but that's why God put that into the Hebrew culture so we would understand God is perfectly holy. What what does the word holy mean? What is the definition of that word? Because we throw that word out there a lot, but I think sometimes we misuse it. Thank you, perfect, separate, it means to Separate. Now, it could be separate by distance or separate by kind, right? In other words, if I stand in, in a herd of zebras, I would be holy because <laughs> I'm separate from them. I am totally different from them. And so when God says separate from the world, he means look different, be different, because you're not of the world, right? So you can stand in the midst of the world and be holy, be different. Now I know fundamentalists have uh you know said, oh well, you've got to separate from the world, leave them alone. how are you gonna leave them to Christ if you're running away from them? You gotta go in there and tell them about the Lord, right? So you can be holy in their presence and holy in a way that draws the people to Christ, that I'm different. I don't retaliate, I don't take advantage of people that you know can't fight back. I we're we're just, we're loving, we're kind. All those things that the Beatitudes taught us. So he is the Holy One. So that was just that one round. So I won't do that to everyone. Uh, so who's got six ten? Just read that. We'll listen to him. If you're looking at it, say it. I, I love that reference. I, I can't write any rabbit more rabbit trails because I tell you what. Mark 124. pretty amazing luke 634 yep right john 669 John 2 20. So next time you sing the the hymn holy 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 Lord God Almighty I hope that helps you that God is thrice holy he's the only one that is and then we are called to be holy uh, unto the Lord which means set apart for God. I always use the illustration trying to explain holiness Uh, Using um, the TV show uh, Rawhide, y'all remember that? Because because they would brand the cattle, right? And you'd see Clint Eastwood as a young man. What was his name on there? I think I did this in here before. Rowdy, yeah, Rowdy. They cut that, get on that quarter horse, cut that uh, that calf out of the herd, tie him up, throw him down, take that brand, and God put his brand on us. We are separated from the herd and. Branded by God, we are holy to the Lord. That means since we belong to him, we have to please him. See, we've lost that note in salvation, right? Just come down, say these words, you're saved, don't worry about it. No, when we come to Christ, we come repentantly, and he brands us as his. And if we belong to him, I'll tell you another word. Sorry, I'm just, this church is good to teach us because guess what? There's nothing bad to say about this church. He did not say anything bad about them. This is the church that they're faithful. They're not doing anything bad. Um, well, I lost it. Probably a good thing then. Um, anyway. I was just, just yeah, yeah, the idea of repentance. Oh, the, the other word we've lost is the word, it's servant in the Bible, bond servant. But if we just translate it the way we understand it, it would just say, slave and because of our past we're scared to say that but that is literally the meaning of Paul a bond servant of the Lord a slave of Jesus we don't have the option to say no we are slaves we have to live for our master and we don't like saying that and especially Americans nobody gonna tell us what to do you know we get we get a little puffed up, so anyway, let me get off that soapbox. Not only is he called the Holy One, what else is he called in verse 7? What's the next thing it says? The true one, somebody said it, yeah. Well, if you're holy, you ought to be true, I guess, but, but there's two ways to understand the word true. There's a Greek understanding in the Greek context, but there's a Hebrew context, and Probably we ought to take the Hebrew context. In the Greek context, Greek philosophy, and I can't remember, is one of the spa guys, Socrates, Plato, or Aristotle. I can't remember which one. Um, that's how I remember their names, the word spa. Yeah. Um, I think it's Plato. It's the idea of... Um, that's just kind of heavy. I don't want to pick it up. I'll put this down. All right. What is this? Okay. Does it have to be at a bar? So what is it? Yeah, but it could be a bar stool. All right, somewhere out there, there's the perfect stool. This is a copy of that. And there's some over there, but they're different from this one. But there are also stools based on the perfect out there. So that is an understanding of the word truth, that it is, it is consistent with the, re, with the ultimate reality. Because for Plato, I don't know if this, since you know him a little bit better than me probably, that this is not reality. This is a copy of reality. That if there's a door out, there's a perfect door. There's a dog out, there, there's a perfect dog. And that's in the metaphysical world, the, 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 the true world. And so that's, I didn't understand this without in class, so I flunked that class, I don't remember very much. Had to retake it, but anyhow. And then I got a gentleman C to get out of there and graduate, but um because it just I found out later you know it just takes me longer to understand this stuff, so now I'm older, I kind of understand what they were trying to teach me, but in the Hebrew context, it means trustworthy. it means we can depend on it. so you can see how that's radically different, right in the in the Greek context, it would be the true one, then he would be a copy of the true, and yet. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that He is the express image of God, right? But that's Him in His body. It's not saying that He's not real or the real one. It's just that He came in flesh and He shows us God, and what He showed us is the express image of God. And when this was explained to me, and I haven't heard anybody explain it better, so I've got to use it, but we don't do this anymore. Now we type on a computer and the words magically appear on a screen. So it's, you know, it's just magic. I don't know how that works. But in my day, I went through my master's degree with a manual typewriter, which terrifies me now to even remember this. And there was this arm, and there was a little bigger piece of metal up here, and on that was a raised, and I'll just use my last name's first initial, M. So when I was typing and I'd hit a capital M, that arm came up, and slapped a piece of carbon and it, or ink and it hit the paper and it made an express image of the letter M. It wasn't the letter M, it was the express image of the letter M, that this was the truth. That's the idea that the Greeks would think of. And so when it says he's the express image of God, that's what it means in the book of Hebrews, that he, he was the exact mirror image of who God is. He looked like God. But he had emptied himself of that. Okay, so when we come to this and that he is the true one, we think of it more in the Hebrew context, and I think we should, that he is the trusted one. And the reason I say that is somebody read Psalm 146, 6. Because these things were I tell you that these phrases are are coming out of the Old Testament. Um into their because John is busy writing part of the New Testament right here. Other parts have mostly been written by now, obviously, because uh, he's the last surviving apostle, but, but, um, but it had not been all brought together in one volume yet. And so as he writes this, he is writing scripture and he is using the Old Testament ideas mostly. Psalm 146 6. I'm going to read that Psalm. He keeps faith forever. He keep you. Keep. If you put your faith in him, he keeps it forever. He doesn't let go. Okay. Um, the next verse there, y'all have got it in front of you. You can see them. Exodus thirty four six. He is bounding in truth. He's the true one. He is the faithful one. He's the trusted one. Um, and then Isaiah 65, 16. By the way, while somebody's looking that up, Isaiah has, by man, 66 books. And, they, and if, as you read Isaiah, the first a few chapters, five chapters, Isaiah has not yet seen the Lord. He doesn't see the Lord till 6th chapter, but he's already preaching. And there's a distinct change in how he talks after chapter 6. And at 39, just like, just like in the Bible, after 39, the message also kind of changes. And people have often thought that there was more than one Isaiah writer. And uh, so that was one of the big liberal ideas from the 1800s on. That's called the JEDP theory, just in case anybody ever challenges you on Bible knowledge, you go, yeah, yeah, our preacher told us about that. Um, and, and in fact, when we were learning this in seminary, um, one of my professors said, you go, you go to your church and you start talking about JEDP theory, they don't know what you're talking about. So you've got to teach it to them so you can pick it up knock it over to make yourself look good. So that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to tell you something make myself look good. I just want you to know that Isaiah has these movements, but it's Isaiah's life. It's him growing and learning. Um, nothing was wrong, but you just see this different tone as he goes through. Um, so it's kind of interesting. So when I look at it and I see the number 65, and it, we're way over in the New Testament ideas of Isaiah. So Isaiah 65, 16, what does that say? Because somebody looked it up while I was talking, I hope. So you know, if you're blessed, you're blessed by the, the God of truth, and if you are, what was the second one? And if and, and anybody swears, swears by the God of truth, that we now know the truth, we have the truth. So, my little talk about Isaiah, though, I did not realize it would sound so much. You hear how that sounds like, oh yeah, we get that, that's New Testament stuff, God. And so, we understand the true one in this that Hebrew sense of he's trusted, he's faithful, he's he, he, he keeps his word. And then this next one is so exciting. What is the next thing there in verse 7? He's described by what he possesses. Amen. Uh, honey, are you still in Isaiah there? Would you go back to 22, 22? This is an uh, amazing phrase. Okay, good. Candy's got Think about, think about, what would the key of David be? Who is David? Y'all know who David is, tell me. Who's David? Right, he's the second king of Israel, but he is, what, what, is, what is distinct about David? What is God's promise to David? Someone from his family will sit on the throne of Israel forever. So that means that today, according to God's promise, there is a king of the Jews that is a descendant from David, right? That's what God's promise said. Do you all know his name? Thank you. (laughs) Absolutely. That's why the lineage and all of this is so important. So if you have the key of David, and what does David represent? Solomon made the kingdom richer, the glory of Solomon's kingdom, but David made it a kingdom, right? He's the one that made it strong and solid, and now it's a kingdom. And so if you have the key of David, what do you have the key to? Yes, you have the key to the kingdom. It's Jesus' key, right? Because he's the one that sits on the throne of David forever. So that's exciting. So um, go ahead, uh, Miss Candy, 2222. What do you know that's also in revelation and look at Revelation. everybody just look at together turn over the page to to chapter 5 and look at verse 5 oh man i love this verse and one of the elders said to me weep no more behold the the lord i mean the lion of the tribe of judah the root of david has conquered so he that uh, so he can open the scroll and it's seven seals. Um, I, I love that verse. I know, y'all, you know none of y'all, y'all never did listen to Christian rock music, right? Y'all are too good for that, right? Okay, in the 80s there was a guy named Mylon Lefevre. He was the son of the singing Lefevers, And uh, at 16 or 17 he wrote his first song and it's in your Baptist hymn book. Without him, I could do nothing. Elvis recorded it, and he got rich as a young guy, and Mylon was lost as a goat when he wrote it, okay? So they, they, um, they sent him to Bob Jones to, uh, University to be in boarding while his parents traveled around, and uh, he saw the hypocrisy of religion there and turned not away from the Lord, but he got into bad stuff because he got rich writing songs, and he was smart. Well, one day when he got older, somewhere in the late 70s, early 80s, when the Revivals were going across with the young people. Mylon uh, went to a second chapter of Acts concert, and like Kirk, uh, no, you, no Mylin, you had a Mylon tape, right? He was listening to Mylon and got convicted and got saved. And uh, Mylon got right with the Lord. He got saved. And so you know what he did? Because he he's earned over $3 million writing songs for Columbia Records. You know what he, he went out and did? He became the janitor in his church. And he did it for free, I think for two years. And so, but he just loves music so bad he couldn't not do it. So he got a bunch of guys here, hey, you play guitar, come on, let's make a band. So he made a band out of guys that couldn't play well at all. He had to teach them how to play their instruments better. But to be in his band, you had to serve as a janitor in the church for one year before you could even apply to be in his band. And they were called Mylon Lefevre and Broken Heart was the band. And they saw 800,000 kids come to Christ. So one of their songs was about this text. And Milan's from Atlanta, Georgia, and he talks like this. And he's reading this passage out of the King James. And there's this scroll, and nobody was found where they'd opened the scroll, and I began to cry and weep. And the angel said to me, Do not wait, for behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah is worthy to open the scroll. I was like, yeah. I just listened to that. I hear him in that southern accent. I was like, yes. That is awesome. Jesus has the key of the kingdom. And he can open anything he wants. And we're going to see that. So look at chapter 22 here in Revelation. The last chapter and verse 16. We see this reference again. I know for a little church and all that, this, this stuff is exciting to me. Especially when I read Revelation, because you see God conquering everything that we complain about today that's going wrong in the world. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. Oh yeah, he is the, the true one, the holy one too. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place he um he i'm sorry i was reading verse six i like that i was going wait a minute i didn't say that i jesus have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches i am the root and the descendant of david the bright morning star so jesus identifies himself Um, in fact one of the pharisees uh when they tried to trip him up one time what did he say he said i'll answer your question if you answer mine the messiah whose son is he And they said, David. He said, well, if he's the son of David, why does David call him Lord? Because the dad never would call his son Lord, except David was a man and the Messiah is going to be God. They didn't want to admit Jesus was God. And so that's what that meant. But anyhow, so it's pretty exciting to me. And because he has the key of David, just what Candy read out of Isaiah, what does it say there in Revelation 3? Uh, in verse what what verse are we in seven still what's happening right he he opens the door, nobody can shut, and he shuts the door, nobody can open right so we're going to look look at that a little bit more, so that's the blanks he opens. And no one can shut. And then I forgot to put the rest there and shut so no one can open. And it, the, but it's a privilege that belongs to Christ. And what is the means of Jesus opening and shutting doors? Now that's not in Revelation. This is, a, this is the outside of what the text we're looking at question. The privilege that belonged to, belongs to Christ he's given to whom? Or shares it. I shouldn't have used the word given. I should have said shares. Because he instituted something to have the power to do that. Any guesses? Oh, y'all are all looking up 1616, aren't you? Matthew? Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, for Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. We love that text, but you better understand the the implication of that text. Okay, Matthew 16, 16. Because of the Roman Catholic heresy of it, we are afraid to say Peter is the rock. Jesus said Peter is the rock. Because that's not Peter's name, right? What's Peter's name? Right, Simon, you are the rock. And on this rock, and he changes the the uh, the um, sex of the of the word because there's a female, there's a feminine and a masculine. By the way, France officially outlawed in their country any use of pronouns other than masculine and feminine because their entire language, every word in their language, is either masculine or feminine. So it messes them up. Well, Greek has the same thing. You have masculine and feminine. And I don't know why, but it's just the way it is. So Jesus says, you are masculine, the rock, but on this rock, and he uses a feminine, I'll build my church. So is he talking about Peter himself, or is he talking about the church being the rock? Or himself being the rock? The truth of who Jesus is, is the rock. And on that rock, he builds his church, and he gives you, Peter, individually? Yes, but also... He gives to the church the keys of the kingdom. And what you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. I want you to think about that a second. Do we participate in the salvation of others? Or is that all on God? Either way you answer, you're correct. That's all on God, yes. I I can't say, we can't save anybody. But we are the mechanism and the means by which the message gets to them. And so, when someone is saved in the church, what is that analogous to? What, what does that look like? What, what has happened to someone? What do we say when someone is saved? It was very popular in the 80s. You are. So, when someone gets saved, they're a, they're a newborn baby. And a newborn baby needs nurture. A church that is leading a lot of people to Christ is a mess. And people hate messes, and they freak out. I've never seen a church that started to really lead a lot of people to Christ that there wasn't a vocal opposition to. It. I'm not saying say everybody freaks out, but there are people just freak out because they're looking more about how everything's getting messed up rather than how many people are getting saved. And so when someone comes and gets saved, you don't know what they... They're coming out of stuff, and they're going to look different. They're going to act different. They're going to talk different. I've got personal examples of this I could share, but... They're so uh, bad, I can't. I'll just say this. The lady said something to my... My wife was asked her why she was upset, and she told her. But the language she used, Janice had to grab her by the arm and say, come here in this room, let's talk over here. And shut the door so she wouldn't cuss so loudly in front of people using some of the worst language possible because she was so upset. But she was a baby in Christ. That's that's all she knew how to, what to do. And we get all freaked out about that. Oh, they're a baby. you got to teach them. you got to help them. you got to help them grow, right? So we are partners with Christ because we're the bride of Christ to get babies born. But he's got to do, the, he's, got to, he's got to bring the life to it, right? On this rock, I'll build my church. And so we have a power to release things. And, and that sounds all, woo, from like there's modern preachers that misuse that. And I don't want you to go out of here thinking a misuse of it. So I invite you to turn to Psalm 2. I've said this a hundred times, but this is some context for it now. And by a hundred times, that was just a metaphor to mean, and I've said it a whole bunch. I hope you heard it. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, who is the Messiah. Saying, let us burst, and so let me read that as it would be in Hebrew, against Yahweh and against the Messiah, saying, let us burst their bonds asunder and cast their cords from us. We are seeing that happen today, aren't we? 200 years ago, this nation was founded, nobody wanted to burst away from Christ, They may not believe in him, but they didn't want to overthrow everything about him in their culture. Verse 4, he who sits in heavens will laugh. He laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king, the Messiah, on Zion, my holy, separated out hill. And so he has a people, and he's using a metaphor of a hill to say there is a group that is going to be set apart for me. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, Yahweh said to me, this is now the Messiah speaking, you are my son, today I have begotten you, or I've become this unique one for you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession you will break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel does that mean that we go to war and defeat all the nations of the world not physically but it means we can go to a nation and bring them under the authority of christ by witnessing there right So when Jesus said, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom, what you open will be open, what you close will close. If you won't participate with him in that, you are part of closing it. But if you will participate in opening it. So let me ask you a question. Is the United States part of the world, of the nations of the world? Yes. Is Virginia a part of the nation of the United States of America? Is Stanton a part, and Augusta County, Stanton, Augusta County, a part of, of the, of the Commonwealth of Virginia. Oh, ask of him and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance. We can go out with confidence. We don't have to go out fearfully. And by the way, if, if we are faithful witnesses, we may see a bunch of people get saved or we may not see anyone get saved. Does that change what we ought to do? No, because our job is to go tell, because he's bringing the world to an end, but those who don't turn to Christ, he is going to destroy in the end, right? And then he's going to hold their blood, us accountable, because we didn't witness. I want you to get the big picture here, okay? I'm using this church to get a big picture of, of what's going on, and he uses these phrases that are so important, because Jesus holds the key of the, king, a key of the kingdom of his kingdom, the key of David, and he has shared that key with the church so that you can open the door so people can come into the kingdom that 's the point that 's why you 're opening the doors to let people in. you shut the door, keep people out. Our, our oldest grandson has uh, uh, autism, and he came to visit one time, and he was still a, a lot wilder and didn 't have any medicine back then, and so he could just unlock a door and go out and you'd have to just hold his hand all day if you're going to keep him inside. And so back then, I went and bought these little slide locks and put them on all the doors in our house. And uh, Janice really likes that because she likes locked doors at night. So if we are outside and we go out out the wrong way, you know, like climb out of a window or go out of a garage door and don't have a way to open that garage door, we are in trouble (laughs) because that thing is just another deadbolt up there. We got no key on the outside to get in. So someone has to open that and let you in the church has been shared the key of the kingdom and he says go to all the world and open the door so they can come into the kingdom get it thank you good well i'll stop because i i preach on that all night the good and the bad okay here's the hint i already told you there ain't no bad (laughs) it's all good jesus knows their verse eight their works yeah he uh, it, it's kind of scary. He does know our works. Uh, if, if you got bad works, he knows those too, right? But he says, "I know your works." So there's just a the confidence that he is watching them. Because remember, this is a weak church. He he will say, "I know that you are weak." So um, this is a, a an encouragement that um, that it's okay. I'm watching you. I've got you. All right. Sometimes he says, "I know your works." It's like I know what you've been up to. Um, But honey, was it was it you tell me your mom would would look at your your brother sometime and go, what wasn't that you? And she didn't know a thing. That's how she would get them to confess. She'd go, "Do you have something you need to tell me?" And they'd start talking. Uh, I think that's kind of funny. So, knowing that he knows our works, what did he say to Adam in the garden? Anything you want to tell me? But how did he say it? Adam, where are you? God knew where Adam was. He didn't mean physically. He meant what happened to you spiritually. Where are you? That was for Adam's sake, not for God's sake. All right, sorry. I keep running rabbits today. I don't know why. Um, He says, so I know your works. And I've set before you an open door, which no one's able to shut. You ever seen a little kid try to open a, like a door at a store or a restaurant? You know, they're struggling and struggling. Well, this church is weak. They can't open doors very well. And so God says, I've set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. Now, we got to look at some of these verses. Just somebody look at 1 Corinthians sixteen nine. I think that would be the only one we have to read, but the rest are there for you. That is a great verse did you hear it there's a wide door uh, i I can say it in in king james there's a wide door and effectual for ministry open to me and there are many many adversaries can you say it again though in yours notice the word and didn't say but said but it'd be hopeless but god's opened a wide door there's going to be adversaries but that don't mean don't go just You've got to know, you're going to have to fight through it, but you will succeed. There's a wide door for effective ministry open, and he opens the door, and nobody can shut it. They can be effective. Though they're weak, God is watching them, and he says, I, I opened the door for you. If you'll just go through it, if you'll fight through it, you will succeed. And all those other verses are similar to that. And he said, Because then he goes on to say here in Revelation, I know that you have but little power. So after he says, I've set a door open for you, he says, but I know you've only got a little power. Well, if you have a little power, you're going to figure it out that, "Mm, do I really want to get in this fight or not? And so he's encouraging them to to go, go forward because he also says right after that, and you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Because you've been faithful in a little, I'm going to make you faithful in a lot. That's what Jesus promised in, in parables in, while, he was in his, while he was here uh, talking to us in person. And so he says, um, that, that's some blanks. I know you have but little power. And the next quote is, you have kept my word and have not denied my name. It's important whether you're strong or weak, never to deny the Lord. We deny him when we get strong and think it's all on us and we take credit for what he does and we deny him when we're weak because we're afraid that we'll get run over if we don't succumb to whatever power but the victor in all of revelation and in these churches is the one who never gives up whether he lives or dies one of the verses we read and i said i've run too many raps i won't say it when when they said how long O lord it was the martyrs under the altar in heaven and by the way They are aware of time in heaven. I don't think it means the same thing, but they said, how long, O Lord? They're aware that there's time going on. And so they came out of the great tribulation as martyrs, and that's what it says there in Revelation, Um, and they're asking God, how long are you going to let this keep happening to your bride? He says, be still, still a little time to go, but we'll take care of it. All right, so then he says, they're at the synagogue of Satan, right? And we, we learned about that in chapter 2, verse 9. He says, same thing to Smyrna. I know your tribulation, your poverty, but you're rich and the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. And we explained it back then. I don't expect you to absolutely remember everything we said about that. But he calls them the synagogue of Satan because you're not inherently a follower of God because you have Jewish, physical Jewish heritage. A Jewish person apart from Jesus is as lost as a bushman in Jaya who's never heard of Jesus. They're the same kind of lost and they got the same kind of need to know Christ. To know Jesus as the Christ. They denied their Messiah and they no longer they no longer have a pass. And they never had a pass, but it is now evident, and God has brought, Paul said, so I'm going to show you that God made the most Jewish Jew that ever lived, and that's the Apostle Paul, to say, I'm going to tell you the mystery that from God had from the time, but he's revealed it to me to tell you that of all the people of the earth, and God saw them as Jew and Gentile, that's how the Bible refers to the races. Doesn't talk about black and white, doesn't talk about uh, Indian and white or black, you know, which... the the actual three races are coccoid, negroid, and mongoloid, which means white, black, and Asian, right? That's the common words. He said, of all the nations of the world, I'm making one people in the church. That's the book of Ephesians. That's the quote of Paul. So, in the church, everybody comes into the kingdom of God that needs to come in. Alright? So, Now he's saying those Jewish people giving you trouble are of the synagogue of Satan because they've denied the Messiah. They're Jews, they're in the synagogue, but they've denied the Messiah, they they won't listen. And remember, this is is 90 or so AD, this is almost 100 years since Jesus was born, 70 years since he died, and so uh, most of those synagogues, the gospel has been preached in them by now, and they've denied Christ who say they're Jews and are not, that's the thing, and that's Romans two twenty-eight, twenty-nine, 29, Revelation 2, 9. Um, those are verses that say what I just said. I will make them come and bow before your feet. In the context of, of, of verses 10 and 11, which are very end times verses, they gotta, they, they're going to bow, the, these, these false Jews are going to bow, and then there's a bunch of verses about that. We won't read those right now. But John reverses, I said John reverses this view, and I've spent too much time on the other stuff. There's a view of verses 10 and 11, but John is flipping the picture that these Jewish people have. He's saying something much, much different. He reverses the view that the Jews are the people of God. He said, no, the believers in the Messiah are the people of God, because he has the keys of the kingdom. He opens the door, we come in, and he shares uh, with us that responsibility and so uh, we'll learn that I have loved you and that's the bold print down there near the bottom of the page and there in the book of Romans there's a lot of references about that and then I will keep them from the hour of trial and that's a that's a quote out of this chapter and this is a uh, I told y'all when I was talking about uh, chapter one that I have a different view of of the end and so this is a verse that um, a lot of people would use. Uh, verse 10: You, uh, you have kept my word about uh, my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that's coming on the whole world to try try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. Now, just a second ago, we read a verse that Christians are being martyred in the tribulation. And I believe as Christians are part of the church, right? Because the church is present there. Obviously, you can't come to know Christ and not be in the church because that is what the church is, the people that, that follow Christ. So what does it mean when he says, I will keep you from the hour of tribulation? So one way to look at that is he will separate you physically from it. The other way to look at it is what happened to the Jews in Egypt? Where did the Jews live in Egypt? Land of Goshen. Where was Jonah when they threw him overboard? In a belly of a whale. Where was Noah and his family during the flood? In those instances, the Jews were in Egypt. Noah and his family were in the ark. And uh, what was the third one I said? Yeah, Jonah's in the whale the three Hebrew boys in Babylon are in a fiery furnace. Daniel is in a den of lions. And God kept them in the presence of onslaught. Two things are happening in the book of Revelation past this. Satan is giving his best shot to destroy the people of God and to destroy the rule of God. Right, And... God is pouring out his wrath on the lost. He will keep us from his wrath because we won't get that. The Jews in the land of Goshen during the nine plagues, I didn't explain that. The Jews in the land of Goshen the nine plagues, none of the plagues went there. They'd come up to the border and stop except for the Passover, but they put signs on their doors and they were kept as the angel of death passed over. So the flies would come at the border of Goshen, wouldn't go in. The frogs would come at the border of Goshen, would not go in. Bloody water came up the border of Goshen, and then it was pure water. None of the plagues touched them as long as they were in Goshen. All right, so if we are in Christ, we're indestructible in this world right now, unless it's my day to go, and God wants me to be martyred to be a witness for him, because the word martyr means witness. The ultimate witness is to die for Christ. I don't know if you realize that. The word martyr is actually the word for a witness of someone that witnesses. So he keeps them so if you're a christian in the tribulation you will not suffer god's judgment but he didn't say he wouldn't keep you from getting your head cut off because they are under the altar going how long the oh lord are you gonna let this keep going says, hold on it's coming i'm gonna we're gonna get there and so by the end of revelation i absolutely he comes back and makes it right all right so just want to give you that alternate thinking so that you can look at it maybe that'll help you and so I'll keep them from the hour of trial and then I've given you all these verses that are talking about those very subjects Um, the the first set is about the people of God the second set is about the pagans when he talks about the people of the world it's always talking about pagans all right And then, on the back of your page, so God's wrath is seen in the trumpets and the bowls, and I talked about that. Uh, by the way, at which trumpet is Jesus coming back, according to uh, Thessalonians, I guess, or Corinthians, whichever has that. Because one has that and one does not, and I always get confused, i got to look them up. Yeah, the last one. There's seven in Revelation, during the tribulation. So last means last, right? thought because these are followers of the beast these that are being judged in the trumpets and the bowls um, that's chapter 16 verse 2 but those that are sealed by God are spared that's chapter 9 and verse 4 they God puts a seal on them and the ones sent by uh, for from God as to wrath those angels that are coming to bring wrath can see the seal on us I, I'm not sure men can see it but the angels know us and they they spare us. Um, and then Jesus says, I am coming soon. Now just remember, soon to God is not the same. Just like if you're married, soon to your husband means different than soon to you. And we get it, soon to you means different than soon to us. And according to your personality, that's not a male-female thing. You're just probably different about that. But it, it tends to be male and female. I am coming soon. If I tell Janice a minute, she knows that's at least 30 of them, all right? I'm just going to tell you that. Then he says, hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. I'm so glad we sang that song this morning, Pastor Andy, and been singing it a little bit lately. So That word gets into our conscience. Hold fast to what you have. We have his salvation. We have Christ. Hold on to that. Hold on to what we know is true because people are going to want to take your crown, and if you're faithless, you lose your crown. It's not a participation trophy. You win if you don't quit. When we, when we uh, this may be a silly, it, it speaks to me, so hopefully it'll speak to you. My favorite stories, and the ones you hear about the Olympics, how many people have won gold medals in, let's say, a long race, a, a, a marathon, or a Whatever a long race would be, 440 yards or whatever it might be. How many can name the names of people that have won that? Probably not many. But what do we remember? We remember the guy that cramped up and collapsed near the finish line. And he struggled to get up and he couldn't get up. And his dad jumped out of the stands and ran down there and picked him up because he would not quit. He would not stop. Because the officials came and tried to stop him and he pushed them away. Because if he had to crawl, he was going to finish. Those are the guys we remember. The guys that won't quit. And that's the one who conquers in Revelation. You may lose your head over it. But God goes, good job, way to go. Because whatever happens to (laughs) I was reading today, just in, in in my quiet time reading, about Peter raising Dorcas from the dead. And I'm thinking, well, I thought two thoughts. One is... What does the person who gets raised from the dead think? Like, I would just get up and go, why did you do that? And Peter did it because everybody's going, oh, you don't understand. She's so wonderful for us. She's given us and helped us so much. He goes, okay, good. everybody get out. I think he ran everybody out because he wasn't real sure. He had some faith. But he went, you know, it's like, I know Jesus did this, and we've seen us do a lot of things Jesus did, but this one's a different level. Let me see. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just wondering. I want to ask, maybe that's a question I can ask. Again. Hey, Peter, when you did that, were you, like, was there the slightest doubt or were you confident? But here's my second thought. Those crazy preachers out there that are heretics, they are obsessed with, we've seen people raised from the dead. I'm going, I would be bragging about that, man. I mean, when I, it's time my, my time to go, I'm... See, I'm out of here. Thank God. All this is over. I'm going to my reward. Now, again, I go back to that re- verse we already read. The martyrs know that they were tortured, they were killed, and they're asking God, how long are you going to let your people be punished like this or hurt like this? Paul said, I am ready now to be poured out as a drink offering. He says that in 2 Timothy. How did Paul die? They cut off his head and his blood spilled out. He said the way he's going to die. And he said, but I'm ready to go because I fought a good fight, I kept the faith, and I finished my course. I'm good to go. So, get the guy off my head. Shock of the kind. It means hang loose. That's awesome. We, we can do it. All right? So, he says, I'm coming soon. Hold fast, and I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. In, verse tw- in chapter 21, 22, there's this heavenly temple that comes. He's not saying that there are going to be men standing there as pillars, right? It's, it, this, this has to be metaphorical. He's not going to make people into pillars. But in the temple to come, it is go, that temple is built by the, of the saints. So it's a, it, is there a physical temple? I believe so. But it's metaphorical language saying that we are part of this, of this place where God dwells of, of helping that to be a reality. And I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. I will write on him the name of God. If you quit, he quits on you. But if, he, if you hang in there, he hangs in there with you. And that sounds kind of weird, but you, I hope you understand what I mean. He, he is not ashamed, the Bible says, to be called our God when we are faithful, when we don't give up. And so there are some verses there. I wish we had time to read all these verses. And then he puts on them the name of the city of my God, which is Zion, so he label, we are a pillar in the temple. He labels us with his name of his city. And then my own new name. He gives them a new name from him. The new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven, and my own new name. We don't know what that name is, but we'll know it then. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, Philadelphia is an example of faithfulness, all right? A weak, small church uh, getting aggravated by the Jewish people, not the pagan people, and uh, it's usually the religious people that aggravate you a lot more than the pagan people. Pagan people are usually pretty nice to us, you know, there's a few that aren't, but, but uh, we, we fear the wrong people. I'm more afraid of, of uh, religious people that don't really know the Lord than I am of lost people that don't know anything about the Lord uh, because they want to hear it. They'll, if, you, if you're nice, they'll, they'll have a conversation with you. You don't yell at them. Uh, if you just go and say, hey, you want to talk about it? Sure, what do you want to talk about? And you got to listen to them, but then you can get to share with them too. All right, I, I'm, I, I too much like to argue my point, so I have, to, I have to really check myself when I do something like that. All right, any questions, anything further? It's a little after six. I tried to, tried to get it back to an hour. Ugh. But this is it just had so much. I gave you all those references. I recommend going home reading those. Uh, you will it'll bless you. Um, you probably find somewhere where I mistyped it, and you go, I don't know what that meant because that was the wrong reference. so that would be good. All right. I didn't do it in time for her to proofread it. That's the problem here. Jesus' little brother. <laughs> Which, which part is that? Yeah. I'm glad you told me. Now I've got hundreds of copies i got to throw away. That's funny. Yep, there's old good old Chris. Janice had two friends when I met her. Uh, she, she was in a church that had a, a big group of college kids and two people that Group got married as a man and a woman, and both of them were named Chris. <laughs> so it was Chris and Chris. And uh, before I knew Janice, I actually took a girl out on a date whose name was Stuart, It felt just like mine, so that was kind of weird. That's the only girl I ever knew named Stewart. Yeah, that was odd. And, we, and I took her to a deacon's banquet that I was speaking at. So that you know, that's how thrilling it was to go out with me. And uh, <laughs> but it was just funny walking at the table and it, the name plates were there, Stewart, Stuart, <laughs> like, Which one do you want? Yeah, you know, there. Anyway. Well, let's, uh, let's pray. Uh, Lord God, we, we thank you. Uh, your book of Revelation, oh, there's so much in there. And, and we can study it our whole lives and not get it all. And so that's why you said, You'll be blessed if you read it, if you hear it. And Lord, help us to understand it. We, we understand you said in Daniel, parts of Daniel were, were sealed up so we wouldn't understand until the end times. But now we think we understand what you were saying. So we know we're close to the end, and Lord, same thing with Revelation. It just seems like everything that happens in society, we go, oh, and then we start understanding things we find there a little bit better. So, Lord, we know that we are steadily marching to your return, and we pray that we will be faithful to the end, whether it's the end of our life, we may just die in our sleep at home as old people, or as young people even. Or we may have to stand and say, I will not deny my Christ. And we we don't know. But we pray that in that hour, you'll give us the courage to never deny you. For you had the courage to go all the way to the cross for us. And you said whatever you did, we could do by the power of the Holy Spirit if we'd walk in the Spirit. So Lord, help us to walk in the Spirit in you and be successful in your eyes of being a faithful witness. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you guys. Thank y'all for coming out. Like I said, I can't believe y'all keep coming back.